testing. Test, test, one, two. Test one two test test. Test test test. Test test one two. Testing one two. Test test one two. Testing one two. Test 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 test. Testing one two. Test, test, one, two. Testing, testing, one, two. Test, test, one, two. Testing, one, two. Can you hear me? Test, test, one, two. Testing, one, two. Test, test, one, two.
It's on? Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and, well, you can go ahead and put it on whichever way. You want it on that way, you want it on this way, just whichever way you possibly, possibly be better. This? Well, no, no, no. We want the microphone facing out this way. Why don't we do this real quick? So just I can, can start right now? Yeah, yeah let me okay. kind of put it up to the top, you mind? That's fine. To you. That's fine. Go ahead and speak into it. Testing? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can speak, you don't have to speak down. You can oh, speak. okay. Alrighty. So everybody should be able to hear you. Okay. Uh, you know, things like that. So why don't we turn it off real quick so they don't hear me? Yeah. <laughs>
up about Mary Lane. She really has, has pushed this for, for several years. And, and if you know her, then you know um, she's quiet, but she's, she's meticulous. She likes to get things done. So she's a blessing to have us here. And I, I just wanted to thank her very much for having us come together. Oh, yes. And so we do have representatives from the Medical Research Advisory Group. Hi, Steve, Jessica. talking about cross-disciplinary, you know, my bachelor's is in political science, my master's is in public administration, and I'm getting my PhD in human resource development. How to tie in those, I've, I, I have yet to determine that, yeah. And so we, we brought him here today to talk about basically the power within building research capacity, and I think this would be a good talk for us today. And so, um, again, thank you for coming and sharing your Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, and uh, thank you, Dr. Jones, especially for the invite. I feel very um, lucky and fortunate to, to have the opportunity to share what we at Haku do for our HSIs and especially for your university as well. Uh, how many of you have heard of Haku before? Do you know where our headquarters is located? San Antonio, off Data Point Drive. So uh, that's that's always comes as a surprise to people. They think that we're off in D.C. We do have an office in D.C., and we do have an office in Sacramento, uh, representing, of course, what's going on in California, and also uh, with D.C. and uh, trying to head up our lobbying efforts uh, with uh, both the House and Senate and the President. Just a little bit about uh, uh, myself. I'm the director of capacity building and leadership. I am a co-PI on a project that Dr. Jones participated back in, I think, 2002, about that time. And it really complements, you know, uh, what you all are doing today, which is uh, building research capacity. Um, I also uh, direct other programs, leadership programs. I'm involved with uh, uh, a leadership institute at our conference. So my work is really varied, and so hence it uh, really goes to 
land with my title, building research capacity building leadership. So anything dealing with leadership ends on my desk, and so it's it's getting pretty messy at the moment. Um, a little bit about Haku. Uh, it was founded in 1986 in San Antonio, uh, helped shape the, the definition of HSIs. Back in 1986, uh, we had the HBCUs, which are the his, uh, historically black colleges, universities, the tribal colleges, they all had their set-aside monies. HSIs did not have any monies whatsoever. In fact, the word and the acronym HSI d didn't even exist. Uh, it was up to Haku back in 86 that said, you know, we need to represent these schools here. Uh, your school, other schools like UTSA, TAMIU, uh, their schools in Florida, California. And so we said, okay, how do we do this? How do we create HSIs? So we said, okay, we need schools that have at least a 25% undergraduate Hispanic full-time enrollment or graduate enrollment. And so by then, uh, we started securing funding. It started off at a very bleak $10 million for about 200 HSIs, which is chump change, you know. And so, but since then, uh, we've been able to secure more than $1.2 billion for HSIs. Um, Compared to non-HSIs, um, non-minority institutions, we get only 50 cents of federal monies that they get. So as you can tell, you know where they're at and where we're at. And that's where we come to, uh, to be in San Antonio and in DC, and that is to procure more monies for you all for research, for uh, student development programs, and so forth. Um, just a little uh, information on the state of his Hispanic higher education. By 2025, Hispanics will represent one of every two new workers entering the labor market. So you can see how imperative it is for us to educate our young Hispanic students, uh, both at the high school level and at the college level. Uh, again, I'll just, I gave my opening remarks. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, what HAKU does in higher education and then lead off to today's topic, which is uh, our research capacity programs at Haku, and then follow up with some discussions and questions and answers. Right now, you can see that uh, things haven't changed much. Um, there are more than 46 million Hispanics in the U.S. However, when it comes to bachelor's degree attainments, we're at 12%. About 30 years ago, it was at 5%. Progress is very, very, very slow, as you can see. When it comes to the master's level, uh, we're at 2%. So it's HSIs like you all that are doing the work for, H for our Hispanic population. If you're wondering where we're at in terms of HSIs, we make up 382 institutions. We comprise of, we're comprised of 382 uh, member institutions in 32 states in D.C. and Puerto Rico. Uh, we have 64 in Texas, 109 in California, and uh, I think the next leading state is Florida with 16, or New York, rather, with 29. Uh, you know, although we make, we're about, uh, I think, 10% of all universities across the country, we do educate two-thirds of the nation's uh, Hispanic students. Uh, our mission is basically to promote the development of member colleges and universities to improve access and the quality of post-secondary opportunities for Hispanic students, such as internship programs, uh, research programs, and also meeting the needs of business, industry, and government through the development and sharing of resources, information, and expertise. 
So what we do is we have policy papers. We also have, you know, a resume d database program where students can go in there, submit their resumes. We have companies that are looking for workers, and we try to match them with, uh, with those uh, employment opportunities. Uh, our national ben uh, member benefits, that is, what do we do? As if, you don't, if you don't know, you all do pay an association fee to Haku, and we're very thankful. If not for, if not for your money, we wouldn't be here. You know, we, would be, uh, we wouldn't be here, basically. Uh, but we do have an office in Washington, uh, in Sacramento, and, uh, of course, our headquarters here in San Antonio. You see Dr. Flood is there with uh, um, Arnie Duncan. Um, so what we do is uh, we do have some capacity building at the student level and at the faculty and staff level. When it comes to faculty and staff, I'm pretty much the one that's in charge of that. Uh, member advisories, we send you all information on legislation that pertains straight to size, students, uh, grant opportunities, things of that nature. I really encourage you to go to our website, haku.net, uh, join our, our listserv, and you'll be just bombarded with all types of news that hopefully is helpful and informative, and you can take back to your colleagues and your students and say, hey, look, look at what's happening up, uh, out there. That is why we're in D.C., and that's why we have about 15 or 20 people working there to help us uh, 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 outreach with uh, our action alerts. And um, also, just uh, briefly, our Haku scholarships. Today, uh, March 1st marks the first day when students can apply for our Haku scholarships. So I'll, I have some information with me, and I'll, I won't talk about that much, uh, but um, you can ask me or I can give you some information later on. So, again, diversifying our workforce. Uh, I am the one that's responsible for the ProTalento database. It used to be called SEED, and I never, I never knew what SEED meant. And I thought it was student educational employment something, database. So I said, we need to reconfigure this and rename it. So we retitled it ProTalento. ProTalento meaning professional talento talent. It kind of has this better connection with our Hispanic population. Uh, so how it works right now is students are, and administrators, professors, provosts, everyone's submitting their resumes. And once we reach uh, about uh, 2,000 or about 2,000 resumes and CVs, then we'll open it up to people to have, to get access to that database. And so that they, they can see what, uh, I mean, if someone wants to look at, is looking for a provost, they can go in there and find someone. Or if someone's looking for an intern, they can go in there and find somebody. Uh, our biggest program, though, is our national internship program. We take 600 students per, uh, per year to D.C. and across the country to go work at federal agencies. That's where I got my experience in federal government. I interned with the Department of Veteran Affairs and also at the Census Bureau. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I not only work for Haku, I'm also a, I was also a client back then. Uh, so since 1992, 9,000 interns have been part of Haku. They also work with corporations like Deloitte, like Sodexo, and in those cases, and also with uh, government agencies, they do a lot of work in research. So they, they are at labs at the NIH, they are at labs at the NSF, and so that's where the research component comes uh, into being with uh, our um, research day today. Now, this is where the problem is at, okay? Giving you some data that I compiled from the NIH and the, um, it should have said NIH and NSF. I forgot the NSF. Uh, but uh, starting with the NIH, 
you can see, for those of you, I don't know if you all can see, but if you can see who gets the monies and who does not. Okay? Uh, Johns Hopkins, look, look what they get. Now, I rank them 1 to 10, and then the ones 57 below are, are HSIs. And you can see the difference. I mean, it's pretty clear. Uh, I, I don't think, I'm sorry, your institution was even in the list. And if it was, it was probably way down there, uh, just like most of our institutions here at, at San Antonio and TAMU and uh, El Paso, I think, is, isn't even in there. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, sad situation. Uh, when you look at NSF funding, the same thing exists. Cornell gets the most. You go down the line, and then once you reach at 49, you see again Colorado State University. And following 49, all the way down to New Mexico State University, which is at 98. So just some, I mean, UTSA isn't even on there. And New Mexico State, $9 million compared to 111. The, the disparities are, are obvious. So what do we do uh, in, in terms of trying to you know, uh, address this issue? And that is uh, the program that I work for, and that's the uh, Professions Capacity Building Program. Uh, it was pretty much uh, initiated back in 1999 with the help of DHHS and the National Center for Minority Health and Health Disparities, and also the Office of Minority Health within DHHS. And that was to help faculty uh, develop them in grant procurement, grant um, development, and also the word that's most used at the NIH is demystifying the grant procurement process. That's a big, big thing. When I see people, and I'm, I'm young, I know. I mean, I'm not as young as you think I am, but I'm young, and when I see these professors with their PhDs, and they have, they've been working there for 15 years, and we take them to the NIH, and they're asking the program directors, the NIH program directors, the Cancer Institute, you're talking about the blood and lung, whatever it's called. I mean, these people have no, no idea, no inkling as to how to go about getting grants. And the one thing that, it's, that resonates very well with me is if I ever get to you know, submit a grant proposal is you might have the, great, the best idea out there, you're just not submitting it to the right agency. So you need to look at what their funding, uh, you know, um, priorities are and what your ideas are. Because I can have the best idea, but if the NCMHD isn't looking for that, well, then it's going to get, you know, rejected. So you need to make sure that you do that. Uh, so how does this work? Each year we, we select 10 faculty and 10 staff. Faculty because we want to train them in terms of the grant development process. Staff also because they have to be aware of all the rules and regulations that are out there. I mean, they change every year. And every year from human subjects to, you know, how much money you can get and how much money you can devote to equipment. And they change every year. And so we have Dr. Martinez, who's from the Michigan State University, uh, conduct our, our technical workshop and give us, you know, an updated uh, um, uh, talk on, on all these rules and regulations that change from year to year. Uh, since 1999 to 2008, uh, we've had about 200 participants participate. Again, you know, it's, this is all just, you know, technical stuff. It was funded by the NCMHD, Dr. John Ruffin's uh, shop up there in, uh, in Bethesda. 
and uh, it's office by it, it's managed by my office, which is the Office of Capacity Building Initiatives and Leadership. Again, the goals are to strengthen HSIs uh, and their capacity to secure and retain funding for biomedical and health services research, provide uh, you all with up-to-date information about post-award management regulations and institutional compliance. A lot of problems that we, that we have is that once you professors or you that are in academia get this grant, okay, what do you do afterwards? You know, what is it that you have to do to make sure that you don't get, you know, called upon by your project director and saying, you know, you just did a major boo-boo here. You know, this is not what was you, this was not, this was not in the, uh, in the, in, in the proposal. So it's not only pre-award, but also post-award. And also uh, to have staff participate to enhance the campus infrastructure for the receipt, distribution, and effective management, as I was saying, of external funds received by the government. Uh, who's eligible? Uh, anyone in the science or in the allied health entry-level faculty. Uh, we don't discriminate on the basis of race, gender, ethnicity, so it's open to HSIs. Since it's federally funded, we cannot discriminate, and we do not intend to discriminate. Uh, but we do look at this. The research focus must be on improving health of minority populations, including disease prevention and health promotion activities. So you can be a little bit uh, creative, you know, once you're submitting your application, then um, uh, that, that's all good. In fact, the, the application's available online um, as we speak, and the deadline is April 9th. Uh, we also encourage people from the OSPR research uh, offices to, uh, to uh, participate, and it can be from an either two-year or a four-year HSI. Uh, we learned that we, at first it was all four-year HSIs, but then we started, you know, looking back and saying, well, the majority of our membership are two HSIs, two-year HSIs. And they don't have a lot of infrastructure. They don't have a lot of PhDs at the community colleges. Nonetheless, we have to offer them that opportunity. Uh, the components, uh, like I said, we provide them with training sessions, faculty and staff breakout sessions, where it's more of a career development aspect to it. Uh, we have Dr. Garza conduct a mock grant review activity. So what he'll do is he'll get someone who has submitted an actual grant and uh, we'll have, we'll divide people into four or five groups. They read the grant, they review the grant, they provide their critique, and then we, we get them with the actual NIH or the NSF critique. And boy, is that an eye-opener. Sometimes they're eye-to-eye, -eye, sometimes they miss a spot entirely. So... Uh, that's been a great uh, new addition to the to this program. Uh, we have also c people come in from uh, our office to talk about HNIP or internship programs, uh, membership benefits, and so forth. Uh, and we it involves an online course which gives you a bunch of the uh, links and uh, to uh, the funding agencies, some uh, grant uh, programs that are out there, uh, just to help you uh, in uh, preparing your grant proposal. Uh, so where have these our participants come from? As you can see, the majority of them have come from Texas. Uh, this is what I call invidious comparison. We didn't say, I didn't say how many. I just said, you know, over 45 or over 35. Uh, but I'm safe. I'm in safe grounds here, so I can say that the majority of them have come from uh, Texas. And I, I try to reach out to those New Mexico schools and to those schools in um, Arizona and. They just don't, uh, they don't apply. But uh, let me tell you, Puerto Rico, um, they're really 
they I get more applications from Puerto Rico than I get from Texas sometimes. And that's okay, you know, because they are members, but we need to diversify, you know, our um, our participation. One to ten. Who's one to ten? Oh, New York. Oh, I'm, I'm always trying to reach those schools. And so this is what has, this is the, our accomplishments. You know, those uh, individuals who have participated from 1999 to, to, to 2007 have received research funding in the amount of $27 million. And that's just research funding. Uh, and NIH and DHHS specifically, that goes down to $9 million. So those 100 individuals who actually participated in the program, you know, after they participated, have reported that they've received funding, um, and it's attributed to their participation in the program. We asked them, you know, did, was it our program that really helped you? And they said yes. If they say no, well, then we, of course, don't report that, those monies. Uh, of the numbers of grants that were submitted, uh, 128% funded, 72. I think that's a great record, you know, and it speaks volumes as to what we're trying to do. And like I said, those visits to the NIH uh, are really astounding. I've, I, I go every year, and although I'm at the back, and you know, I'm like, okay, just let them talk about whatever. Oh, how do I go back to this? Oh, my God. I got it here. Um, I mean, every year we have different centers coming and... Sometimes they tell you how it is, you know. Your little school is not going to get funded, I'm sorry. You know, if you're looking for an R1, you know, and you don't have a lab, you know, but that's, that's, that's the name of the game, you know. I mean, that's reality for you. So, uh, I don't think, uh, questions. I was brief, I guess, too brief, but I just didn't want to bore you with all the data that we have. Yes, go ahead. No, we fund graduate students. Okay. We just, if you're a senior, you have to, if you're like in your last semester, the only way you can participate is if you've been accepted to a graduate school. And sometimes, you didn't hear it from me, sometimes, I just don't tell them this is your last year. They don't have to know. Just, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're planning on graduating, I did, I'm, I'm being totally uh, unprofessional here, but, you know, I, I try to help my, you know, my people. And But if you're planning on graduating, let's say, this year, well, then whenever you submit your application, you say, well, it's tentative, so uh, I plan on graduating in the summer. And that will give you, <laughs> you know, more time. So, yeah. So, and we do doctoral students, graduate students. Uh, it just depends on the, uh, for the scholarships, or was that? Either, either one. For, for agencies, it, it depends. Some of them, I mean, we had... Uh, a cooperative agreement with the OMH, and so every year we were looking out for all those biomedical science, you know, and you know, uh, um, conferences to go and recruit. And it's not until I looked at all the majors that they were looking for these agencies within uh, OMH, and darn it, I mean, they were looking for finance majors, accounting majors, because I mean, just because OMH is OMH doesn't mean that they don't have a person in finance or in marketing or in journalism or whatever. So we started just saying. This go out everywhere because you know uh, the DHHS is not only limited to health. You know when it comes to. Uh, I have a second question. Good. Does the student have to be a citizen of the United States? They do. 
or they have to have whatever uh, permanent, pre permanent residency. Yes, many agencies, of course, are now looking at, you know, especially with a, with, a, with a stimulus package, are now looking for, okay, we need to address these underserved populations. And a lot of those proposals that are out there are looking for exactly that. When you applied, you know, for Title V um, eligibility, then that helps a lot too. Because you are at a Hispanic-serving institution, you do have an underrepresented uh, population, you know, so you're in, you know, you're in, in, in the neighborhood. So uh, th that does help a lot. Yes, ma'am. For the internship, it, uh, it, uh, it varies very from year to year. Uh, it just depends on how many interns each agency is looking for. Uh, in terms of, of uh, successful submission rates, I would say it's about a 25%, uh, but we do get about 2,000, 2,500 applications. Uh, bless you. I was, I was lucky enough to be selected twice, um, but uh, what happens is that sometimes you get selected, and this is just on a side note, you get selected like by the, e e by the EPA. And a person might say, well, I'm not interested in the EPA. You know, okay, if you, ex if, if you accept, though, and then you say, wow, DHHS wants me to work there, well, I'm sorry, you already accepted EPA. Also, we discourage students from actually naming or identifying any agency in their application because that will limit them completely. They're not aware of the fact that a lot of the work that they do doesn't only get done at what agency but at different agencies. So, just some pointers there. Go ahead. Uh, I was wondering if you could kind of give the itinerary. I know that you bring people up to Washington, D.C., and you describe that a little bit. If you can kind of give the itinerary and speak a little bit about the collaborations between institutions. Okay, yes. Uh, what happens, the way the program works is we bring them first to San Antonio. Okay? We, we bring them, we introduce ourselves, we give them a really really brief uh, introduction to the grant development process and so forth, what the program is about, what you're going to learn and so forth. And then in the summer, in, in fact, mid-July, we take them to the NIH for a whole week. Uh, we provide them with uh, technical workshops conducted by Dr. Martinez. And then we go to the, oh, what's the name of the office? It's the National Institute of Men uh, NIMH. And that's where uh, Dr. Michael Sesma uh, helps us in, uh, in uh, securing, you know, the agenda and so forth. And so what we do is we, we, he gives us an overview of NIH in general, and then we bring in the different program directors. And it's back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And, you know, uh, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of professors come out saying, you know, it was too much information. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we didn't have enough time to get our answers questions, as opposed to others who'd say, I wanted to know more about this agency. So we just try to bring as many people, sometimes 14 uh, centers, uh, to come speak on, on a two-day uh, program. Is that, uh, did that 
kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Not necessarily. Uh, ours is more research focused, uh, but not much in terms. Okay. Um, okay. I was, I was thinking. Um, that just depends on what the, what the centers are presenting. We ourselves don't do that, but it just depends on you know if this if if a certain institute is offering that type of uh, you know uh, proposal or or seeking that that type of work or research then. It just depends on the agency itself. So that's where you get to learn. Whenever you attend and you apply and you actually go, you get to know whether or not that's one of their, uh, you know, their important or what they call uh, significant items on on their agenda. Oh, the Arda, yeah. But I don't know if you're talking about actual building of labs. That's more what you're looking for, right? That's, that's where do we find money to actually, let's say, build a lab or build Oh, yes, yes, yeah. They do that. That's, I don't know if that's within Haku's system. Not ours, but it is through NIH. Through NIH for, for, for yes. Find that find that proposal that's looking for that, and you can. That's where you build your labs and your. Yeah, and all the. You go to actually. You have to go. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't. Yeah, grants.gov, and that's where you find. You just keyword, and you'll find what they're looking for. Um, it's it's. There's a lot of info up there. I mean, I, I myself get lost when I'm looking for something, you know. But uh, there, I know that um, in my previous talks with the NIH officials, they are trying to revamp their grants over again, you know. But uh, it's just you just have to go in there and and, and look for that uh, um, request for you know application or request for proposal RFP. But that's that's tricky because then you'll be getting all kinds of stuff, stuff that's totally, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, you can open it. I mean, it's it's up to you. But or if not, you can just go about it every day as you can. And we try to, you know, we, we try to uh, on through our newsletter. If if there's an agency that's looking for something that's aimed at HSIs or so forth, we can we can put it in, in our newsletter and let you all know about that uh, uh, opportunity. Uh, we do have what's called our our student track, and that takes place at our at our uh, annual conference. Um, it's it's our conference is more policy research related, but within our conference we also have a separate track for students. And so if they apply to that uh, scholarship, they get paid for their airfare, their travel, and they uh, 
they participate in a in a in a student track that deals mainly with leadership building and so forth. Yes. Yes, on your website. And if you go to I think student services, you'll it'll direct you to the to the student track and the deadline for applying and the requirements and so forth. But that'll take place uh, in uh, San Diego in September. And uh, our next uh, event is will be taking place in, in D.C., where we invite uh, some of the secretaries, some of Obama's cabinet uh, members, and come and talk to our presidents and our administrators so that they can hear directly from us as to what our needs are. So I don't know, any more questions? Concerns, feedback? Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So we have a. Uh, we wanted to hold you for just one second. Oh, thank you. Thank our two. And we also have uh, from the Office of Mission Effectiveness, Mr. Walter, uh, this is actually an ongoing tradition to award five of the posters that kind of best demonstrate the, uh, the five tenets of the mission. Um, Mr. Walter, we have come up here as a, a token for some of these posters, Mr. Clay, to recognize some of those posters that, to, uh, that kind of demonstrate those ideas.